Aren't you thankful that we have a God that stays? The Bible tells us there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Did you know that? Nothing can separate us from the love of God. And I was just sitting there listening, and things come through my mind a lot of times. And Romans 8, I just want to read this to you. This goes along with that song. It has nothing to do with the message, but it's just, just extra for you, okay? I won't charge you for this one. It says, Romans 8, 37, but, we, but, we, but in all these things we are overwhelmingly conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither life nor death, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, no heights, no powers, no depth, or any other created thing can separate us from the love of God. Amen. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Uh, Mark Meacham, would you pray for us, please, before we get started? Yes. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Mark. We'll be in Ephesians if you want to turn there again as we are going through our little mini-series called A Picture of a Christian. And how in Ephesians 4 and Ephesians 5, the Apostle Paul has given us that picture of what a Christian is supposed to be looking like. Today we're going to look at the life and the lifestyle of a Christian must be different than the life and the lifestyle of an unbeliever. Absolutely has to be different. We're going to look at that today. When you and I accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior, we signed up for a few things. Did you know that? We signed up to a life that says, I will love my Lord with all of my heart and with all my soul and with all my mind. We signed up for a life that says, I love my Lord and I want to be obedient to my Lord. We signed up, we said, I want to live a life that pursues the things of God and not the pursuit of these worldly kinds of things. We signed up for a life that says, I will be willing to carry my cross and follow Him no matter what. We signed up for a life that says, I will live my life in a life that runs away from sin and rejects the worldliness of, of what this world wants to bring to us. See, when we signed up to be a, a born-again believer and we accepted Him as Lord and Savior, we signed up for a, a, a lifestyle that is different than anything that the world would say is, is correct. And I want to encourage you today, and I've encouraged you last week and the weeks before, that, that as we have been born again, our life and our lifestyle absolutely has to be different from that of an unbeliever. 
Last week we looked at this idea of our old self. And, and it said we were to lay aside the garment of our old self. And that old self was, was that life before we became a Christian. And we were to lay down all of those sins and not pursue those kind of things anymore because those things were dead to us. And we also looked at putting on the new self, putting on the new garment of Christianity and living in such a way that we bring glory and honor to the Lord. And that's what we talked about last week. And we're going to kind of do that again this week, if you would. Uh, in, in Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 31, we kind of spoke on this just a little bit last week. And we didn't get to 32. But I believe chapter, uh, chapter 4, verse 31, gives us another picture of the old self. The way we used to be, at least I hope it is. Where it says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Get rid of those old self people. That is where you used to be. And we see in verse 32, I think it's a picture of the new self, who we are now in Christ, if you would. And it says, I love this, I love this, uh, this verse here. My dad, when he was alive, he would go to his Sunday school class was called the Bicoda Sunday School class. Be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. That is, he called it the Bicoda Sunday School class. Matter of fact, he, he, his, his car tag was Bicoda. And I think that was just a picture of who he was. Be ye kind one to another. A great, a great, great Verse, And that is a picture, I believe, of who we are now as Christians. Who, what we are to pursue in our lives is to be kind and tenderhearted and, and, and for, forgiving. I look at that word kind. This is who we are as Christians is to be kind, is to be gentle and caring and courteous and helpful, if you would. Just the opposite of verse 31, if you would. It says we are to be tender-hearted. We are to, to uh, show compassion to people. We are to render mercy to people. We are to understand that, that people in life have struggles in life. And they have issues in life. And, and, and a lot of times life can just be hard. And for the Christian, we need to look at that and say, you know, I want to love you in spite of that. I want to help you in spite of that. I want to show you compassion. I want to give you mercy. And I want to reach out to those that are struggling. That's being tenderhearted. That's where we are to be as Christians. And then it says we are to be forgiving, to extend grace to people that don't deserve grace, okay? It is to pardon a wrong that we have suffered. It is to let go of a debt that somebody might owe us. That is forgiving one another. You see, if we're going to be born again, we have to have those kind of attitudes, if you will, in our life. To be kind to others, be tenderhearted, and to forgive others that maybe don't even deserve forgiving. I wonder why, why uh, Paul would say that is the last one there, to, to forgive others. To forgive others. Why are we called to forgive others? Because God, number one, has forgiven you. God has forgiven you and we know that christ died on the cross in order to to uh 
provide salvation for you. If you have been forgiven of a thousand sins, at least a thousand, do you think? Probably more than that. If God has been able to forgive you of that many kinds of sins, he said, as a Christian, you need to be able to forgive those one or two times that somebody wrongs you. What a beautiful thought. When we ask forgiveness from our Father, what happens? He forgives us, doesn't he? When we come to him in, in, in repentance and we're seeking forgiveness and we're seeking cleansing, what does he do? He forgives us. We are made white as snow, if you would. One time we were red like crimson, and now we're white as snow because he has forgiven us. He says, Christian, you have been forgiven much. I want you to return the favor to others that don't deserve it, and I want you to forgive other people, if you would. Why are we to be kind and tender-hearted and forgiving to those that come around us? John 13, 34, and 35 tells us this. It says, A new commandment that I give you, that you love one another. Even as I have loved you, love one another. And the world will know that you are my, di- my disciples by the way in which you love you see, why does he want us to be like that? Why does he want us to be kind and considerate and tenderhearted and forgiven? So that the world will know that you are one of my disciples. And when the world needs something, when the need, world needs some support, the world needs some encouragement, the world needs a, a Savior in their life, who, who do they turn to? I hope they turn to you because you've got the answer to the problem of sin in their life. Why do we do that? So the world will know that we have been born again. Verse 1 of chapter 5. And this is, this is interesting. Verse 1 it says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. Imitators of God? Really? <laughs> hmm, think about that one. How do we imitate God? That word imitate also could mean a follower of God. We are to be imitators of God, just like little children. I, as I was look, reading those verses and looking at them, I, it came to my mind about, well, here, Kimber, okay, my little granddaughter, okay, how she imitates sometimes. We have Thursday night at our house, we have family dinner where Drew and Brooklyn and Kimber come and Bryce is there and we're all there and and Rhonda fixes a, a really good meal for us. So I don't know, it's been a month or so ago that we were sitting in, and I was sitting at the table, and Kimber was sitting, she already had her chair, she was sitting up there, and, and uh, the food wasn't quite ready yet. And I began doing this. We want some grub. We want some grub. We want some grub. And the next thing you know, here she is. We want some grub. We want some grub. She was imitating me. Well, about three weeks later, I, I, I was sitting down at the table. We hadn't started eating yet, and here she is. She starts that chant by herself. We want some grub. We want some. She was imitating her pop. Okay. She'll see Rhonda. Rhonda will be putting on her makeup or combing her hair in the morning, and Kimber will be there, and 
and she's got to have her own comb and she's got to have her own brush and her own whatever whatever y'all need there I don't know but she's got to have her what's she doing she's imitating her grandmother you see children do that don't they we are uh, we are and her parents are trying to teach her how to pray okay and trying to teach her what that looks like and trying to imitate us so that one day she will want to do that on her own. And I suggest you do, I hope, as, as little eyes are watching you and watching me and, and all of us there, that we are living a life that imitates God. So that when little eyes are looking at us and seeing how we are acting and how we are reacting through our faith, that they can see us imitating our Father. So that when they imitate us, they are actually imitating God himself. You see, we are called to be uh, those kinds of people uh, according to God's word. Christians, we are to imitate God. We imitate God when we see his grace. We imitate him when we see his mercy. When we see his love. When we forgive others. We, in a sense, are imitating holy God. Verse 2 says, because of that, he says, because you are imitating God the Father, we are to walk in love. We are to live a life of love. We are to extend love to others. We are to live accordingly. We are to walk in love. And we do that, why? Verse 2 says, just as Christ also loved you. We're to walk in love because Christ loved you. And then it says, and he gave himself up for us. We're going to look at that here just real quick. If we're going to be, intim- in, in, if we're going to be imitators of God, we must walk in love. Because we see that God gave himself up to us. Christ gave himself up to us. What does that mean? What does that mean that, that Jesus gave himself up for us. Does it mean that uh, he set an example for us that, that we are to be willing to die for the cause, if you would, to die for the truth, if you would? Uh, probably, uh, some. I think it means more than that, though, Jesus' death. I think it means that uh, he gave himself up for us because... He died in our place, did he not? A substitutionary place of death. I mean, when he went to the cross, he suffered the thorns, the nails, the spear, the rejection. He took all the pain. He took all the punishment. He took, if you would, the hell here on this earth. And there he was. He's hanging on a cross, the place where you and I would deserve to be. And he took our place. He said, I'll do this for you guys. And he, and he died a substitutionary death. And he took all of that so that we would never have to do that. You know, as I was studying that and looking through that, just the thought just came to my mind, just that, that thought. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus, for doing that. Thank you for going to the cross and taking my place. Thank you for taking that punishment and all that pain and what you went through. 
Thank you, Jesus, because you know who he did it for. He did it for you and I, so that we would not have to do that. Born-again Christians, we are so thankful that Christ took your place, took my place on the cross, so that we would never have to do that. It also says there, after he gave himself up to satisfy uh, man's greatest need, and that is salvation, he says there also an offering and a sacrifice to God. He went as a sacrifice and an offering to God. That word offering goes back to the Old Testament. Where in the Old Testament, if you've read any of that, you understand that the priest would, would offer a burnt offering. And he would offer a burnt offering or individuals would offer a burnt offering. And, and that was for the atonement of sin back in the Old Testament. An atonement for sin. Uh, that's what the offering was for, was that atonement. But that's not the only reason why he offered that atonement. The priest would offer atonement because of atonement for sin and that sacrifice, but he would offer, also offer to show his love and adoration for the Lord. He would do it because he wanted to bring glory and honor to the Lord. And he would offer this burnt offering to the Lord. And it was a sweet fragrant, the Bible says, aroma. And he would do that. And, and, and that is why the other reason why Christ had to go to the cross, if you would. He met the needs of man through salvation. But he went for a couple of other reasons. He went to the cross to glorify his Father. Jesus went to the cross to glorify his Father. He also went to fulfill God's will and to be obedient to God's will. You see, he was, a, he was a sacrifice. He was an offering. And he had a choice to make. Will I fulfill God's will in my life? Will I be obedient to his will? And he did. He had the choice to make. His, was fulfilling God's will in their life, in his life, more important than any desire or ambition that he might have had? And he said, no, I'm going to follow, be obedient to the Lord. And when you hear that and we think about what he did... Uh, on that cross, how does that affect us as Christians? That is exactly how you and I, we are to live our lives. Did you know that? Our lives are, are to be a, a, to glorify God the way we live. We're to glorify God. This, our actions and the way we speak and the way we act must glorify God. It must be a life that says, I want to, I want to do God's will in my life. And I want to live a life that is obedient to God's will. I want to show the Father that, that His will in my life is more important than, than my desires or my ambitions in my life. You see, He set a great example for us, did He not? As He was, as he was this, this offering and this sacrifice to, to, to the Lord. I think we can learn from that. If we ever want to be a people that imitate God, we must be able to walk in love. We must live a life of of sacrifice, we must live a, 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 a life as an offering that our life brings glory and honor to God and that we want to, we want to follow His will and to do what He's called us to do. John fourteen thirty one says this, So that the world may know that I love the Father, Jesus said, I do exactly as the Father has commanded me. You see, that's the way we should live our lives, to be obedient to what he's called us to do. In verse 3 and verse 4, 
uh, he gives us some sins here that uh, we must avoid as believers. If we're going to imitate Christ and we're going to be uh, putting on that new self, these are some things that he says that we need to eliminate from our lives. And we see them in verse 3. We see what it says there. It says, but uh, uh, immorality, impurity, or greed must not even be named among you as is as proper among the saints. Immorality, adultery, fornication, homosexuality. Society will say that's, that's the modern way to live. God says, no, that's sin. And he says, he says, that is not to be named among you. That shouldn't even be part of your thought process, Christian believer. That's the way the unbelievers live. That's not, that's not who you are. In verse 4, he says, therefore, there must be no filthiness, silly talk, coarse gesturing, which was not fitting, but rather be given thanks. He says you need to get rid of that filthiness, the, the dirty things of this old world that we, that we see and that we listen to and just have to be a part of sometimes. He said get rid of that dirtiness. You don't need that in your life. He says silly talk. Get rid of the bragging and the, and the boasting of sin in your life. I mean, you can see this all the time in, in the world, people bragging about what, what they've done. People bragging about how, how bad they are. And, 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 you know, they take pictures and want to post them on Facebook and show them what they're doing and how, and how just they're just living for the world. And, and, and the writer is saying, you need to go, get rid of that stuff. That's not part of you. Don't be bragging and, and boasting about how sinful you are. Get, get rid of that. He said coarse gesturing. He said that's talking dirty and, 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 and agreeing with dirty stories and dirty jokes and all that kind of stuff that goes around with that. He said, that must not be part of the Christian life. That's not who you are, believer. Get rid of that. If you want to imitate God, you've got to remove those from you. And then he gives us a, a suggestion on, on what should fill that void in the life of a Christian. And he says, but rather be giving thanks for the Lord. See, none of this, those things should not be a part of our lives, but we should be thankful for the spiritual blessings that he's given to us. We've got to be thankful for the, the salvation that he's given to us. His grace and his mercy and his love that he's given to us. We must be thankful for that. And focus our minds on those kinds of things. And not the things of this old world. We must get rid of those kinds of things. You see the believer's heart is different than the unbeliever's heart. The unbeliever's heart is is dark and it's cold and it pursues the things of this world. The heart of the believer is different. The heart has been changed when we accepted Christ as Lord and Savior. We now have a heart that, that pursues the things of God. We have a heart that wants to know, be, draw closer to God. We have a heart that says, I want to be an imitator of God. I, I have a heart that says, I want my life to look just like Christ-like. I'm going to be more like Christ in my life. And there's two different hearts there. And the believer's heart is so much different than the unbeliever's heart. And Paul is saying, man, if you want to be imitator of God, you've got to have a believer's heart. And these kinds of other sins that come about in your life must never be spoken about you. They should not come up into your life. We must be different, believer. We must take a stand, believer. We must be different 
because we are different. We have a new plan. We have a purpose. We have a priority in our lives. That's because we've been born again. We see in verse 5 real quickly, he gives the response to verses 3 and 4, if you would. It says, For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of God, of Christ, and of God. He's talking about those sins in verses 3 and 4. He says, These folks have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. Well, let's see what that means. You see, an unbeliever has no inheritance in the kingdom of God. There are people that we know that would profess to be Christians, okay? That profess to be Christians, but yet they live a life that practices sin. They live a life that endorses sin, that's all for sin. And, and, and they live this way, and they live like an unbeliever, but they're professing Christ as as their Lord and Savior. And yet they live this way like the world lives. And yet there's no conviction in the lives of that person. There is no conviction of sin. There is no thought of sin. Yeah, I'm a believer, but I'm going to live my life how I want to. And I suggest to you that that person, if that is who you are, if that's a person who you know, it says they have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. Let me give you a, a definition of no inheritance in the kingdom of God. It says you are not a believer in Christ. If you're going to live a life and you're going to live it how you want to, you can say all the time that I'm a believer. But if you have no conviction over those sins, if that doesn't bother you to live that way, you have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. You have not been born again. I say that with all the love I got. But you haven't been born again because you see the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will not allow you to enjoy sin if you've been born again. Amen. The Holy Spirit will not allow you to do that. One of the jobs that the Holy Spirit has that has been given by the Father is to convict people of sin. And if you claim to be a Christian and you have no conviction over the way that you are living, I sure need to look at, at who you think of, has been saving you. Because you need Jesus in your life. You probably won't hear that at a lot of places. Okay? But I believe that's the truth. I think we have in our society too many people that want to uh, be called the name of Christian. But they don't want to live that way. They, they, they want to live how they want to. But yeah, I'm a believer. And, I, and, and from this old pastor's heart, I, I would hate to think that you didn't hear the truth one time in your life. It will be, it'll be so sad at the judgment day when Jesus says to many, many, many people in this old world, depart from me. I never knew you. You see, we can't be playing a game of Christianity. We can't be playing a game of, of I want to be a believer, but I'm gonna, I want to live in both worlds. There's no such thing as living in both worlds. Jesus said, you're either for me or you're against me. That's his words, not mine. You're either for me or against me. If we've been born again, we've got to start living like we've been born again. And then we have the Christian. We have the Christian who is, has been born again. 
has been born again. And he is living a life that's not like they were supposed to be living it. And he's been convicted of those sins. And he knows it and he, and he feels it in his heart that, yeah, I need to confess and I need to repent. But he never does. He continues on that lifestyle. He continues to be, yes, saved. Security forever. But he still plays with sins. He still dabbles in the world. He still does things that he knows are not right. And he's convicted over it and he wants to change it, but he's not. He, he's so embarrassed, if you would, that he doesn't want to go to the Father and say, I confess this, Father, like he doesn't know anyway. But people get that way. When, when sin gets a hold of their life, even as a believer, we, just, we want to kind of shy away from God. We don't want to con- confess that. We don't want to. We just don't want to. And the Bible says if that's who you are, if you've been born again, truly been born again, but you still have decided you want to live how you want to. I'm here to tell you Hebrews 12 has a, has a word for you, okay? <laughs> Hebrews 12 has a word if you're not willing to confess and repent and clean up your act. In Hebrews 12, verses 5 and 6, it says this, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline or the chastising of the Lord, nor faint when, he has a, when you are approved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines and he scourges every son whom he receives. Christian, you are living a life, and you, but you're walking down the wrong path. The Bible says that he will bring discipline into your life. He will chastise you to get you back on the right road. He will not allow you to walk down that path that you're trying to walk down without him intervening. You know, if you had a kid that was misbehaving, what would you do? You'd talk to him. You'd get a hold of him. And if you needed to kind of wear his hind end out, you might do that too, okay? I'm sure some of you don't want to do that either, but um, spanking him. And in a sense, God will do that to his children. Did you know that? He will take you to the woodshed, and he'll spank you because he loves you. He doesn't have to spank the, the devil's kids. You don't spank somebody else's kids, do you? No. You spank your own. You discipline your own. Same way with God. He's going to discipline his children so that you will get back on the right road, so that you will repent of your sins, you confess of your sins. And it says in verse 10 and verse 11, the last part of those verses, when he brings discipline into your lives, he says, so that you may share his holiness. Afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. You see, God wants your life to, to be a picture of the life of Christ. He wants you to pursue a life that is pleasing to Him, a life that looks like Christ. And if you, as a born-again believer, choose not to live that way, and you choose to go a different road, I can promise you that God will get your attention somewhere, somehow, and bring you back to Him. He will not allow you to live that way. Again, the Holy Spirit will not allow a Christian to enjoy their sin. If we are ever going to imitate a holy God, we must allow Him to discipline us. Because the Bible says in those verses, if He brings discipline to us, He chastises us as a Christian, that is a really good thing. You go, well, that don't sound like a good thing. It's a good thing because it proves beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are one of His. 
it proves that you have been born again, that you are a child of God if he has to bring discipline into your life. Not judgment, discipline and chastisement in order to bring you back to get you on the correct road again. Are we going to be imitators of God? We look at here, it says we can imitate God by being kind to others. We imitate God by being tender-hearted to others. We imitate God by forgiving others. We imitate God by living a life of love. We shirk the worldly sins if we're going to imitate God. We're going to pursue the things of God. If we're going to imitate God, it says in verse 4, we ought to be people that give thanks. Okay? If we're going to imitate God, we must be willing to be disciplined and chastised as believers when we fall short of what He's called us to do. You see, the Christian life is much different than the unbeliever's life. When we signed up to be a follower of Christ, that's what He wants us doing. To take a stand, not compromise, be strong in our faith, not live like the world lives. We must be different so that the world will know that we love Him when we stand for Him. Tricia, you want to come, please? As we begin our invitation time, uh, I just want to encourage you that, that there's no better lifestyle than the Christian lifestyle. Sometimes it can be hard and it can be difficult just like everybody else's. But we have a Savior that we can go to We have a God that loves us that will continue to love us. And when we struggle, He loves us. When we make a wrong turn in life, He loves us. And He loves us so much that He will correct us if if need be. We've got to be a people of uncompromising faith that our life would never look like the life of an unbeliever. Because when the unbeliever starts looking for answers in life, they'll either go to the world and try to find the answer there, or they're going to go to a believer and says, you're different. What's the, what is different about you? And then what do you do? You tell them. The difference is I've been born again. I'm a child of God. I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. You see, that's how it's supposed to work in this whole world. All right. As Trisha plays, let's bow our heads and close our eyes. I don't know how God has spoken to you today. I hope he's spoken to you. If you're living a life that that is not giving God the glory, if there's different issues in your life, I would ask you to clean those up. I'd rather discipline myself than have God do it. If you've never been born again, today would be a good day to do it, to accept him as Lord and Savior. As the piano plays, do business with God, please.